the Brexit Breakdown podcast from the UK in a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to series two of the Brexit Breakdown podcast. I'm still James Miller, author, journalist, podcaster, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. And it is that continuing mission that has brought me back for a second series of the Brexit Breakdown podcast. We've got some interesting guests lined up already for the forthcoming weeks. Politicians, we've got a comedian and quite a few straight up experts to guide us through what promises to be a rather turbulent and very Brexity few weeks and months ahead. We start with, who else? Anand Menon, Director of UK Interchanging Europe, joining me to talk to James Kirkup. He's a one-time Telegraph political journalist turned think tank chief. Uh, He's director of the Social Market Foundation, which describes itself as a think tank of the radical centre. Over the years, the uh, Social Market Foundation has been a favourite of John Major and of Tony Blair when they were uh, prime ministers. Um, And that gives you a flavour of what sort of politics it espouses. So uh, I started by asking James a topical and slightly personal question. Um, Look out as well in this podcast for a brand new feature with a brand new jingle, which is very much worth sticking around till the end for. So uh, enjoy the conversation. I'll be back at the end. Here we go. You're a centrist dad, aren't you? I don't know what that means. I mean, you're, you're I mean, a centrist we, and a dad. Well, these are factually accurate statements. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we, yeah, we, 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 I don't know when centrist became became a term of abuse. I mean, it, it, you know, again, this is sort of 2015. Yeah. Mm. Well, again, why why is this a bad thing? Why? Yeah, I, I don't. This, this, just, sorry, this, I'm going to go off a rant there. I do not understand when it suddenly became a good thing in politics to alienate the people who don't agree with you and tell large chunks of the electorate, I don't want you supporting me. Surely the whole point about politics is to get as many people as possible to agree with you. Uh, And that means if you start out on the left, then you try to work out how you persuade people on the right to come over to your side. And if you start out on the right, you start out thinking, how do I get people on the left to come over to me? And yet we- very radical. Well, the radical center is our tagline, yes. I mean, you- you, Well, you say that, I have heard there's a book called uh, Brexit in British Politics. Ooh. And that explains what's happened in British politics Ooh. in the last few years. Brilliantly. Uh, yeah, so I, so I hear. Um, Shame on And you. the author here. I saw that. Well, explain it. I saw that in a charity shop. It would be part of them. I'll find one. They're the cheapest ones. I was going to buy one, but I thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the inside ones are very rare. Explain it, author of Brexit in British Politics. Um. You know, is Brexit, to what extent is what James talking about? to do with Corbyn and leftism and all the stuff that we're not necessarily talking about on this podcast and to what extent is it to do with Brexit of course the two are very closely related but um, yeah but separate I mean that's the interesting thing isn't it the number of people who now seem to remember Corbyn becoming Labour leader after the referendum because everything changed in 2016 is quite interesting mm, whereas yeah. of course loads of stuff was going on before I mean for me what were, the, the reason why things are interesting now is there's a whole series of different crises going on and interlinking 
I mean, there was a, there, there was a crisis brewing in Scotland post-referendum. Northern Ireland has been heading slowly towards crisis since before the referendum. We have a crisis of political trust going on before the referendum, and we had an economic crisis going on in terms of increasing unhappiness with levels of inequality. And what's happened is that Brexit and the referendum has fed into all those, made them worse, and we're now facing a series of these things simultaneously, which is messy and which the SMF are going to sort out for us. So in terms of centrism becoming an insult, that is, where does that fit into what you're talking about? Is it a symptom of all these crises or is it um, it's sort a of more fundamental it's to a the crises or, or what? What we've seen because of all these crises is increasing polarisation. And Brexit's the biggest of these crises? Brexit's one of those crises with the biggest economic implications, yeah. But all of those things, because they're so polarising, have left that hole where the middle used to be. Go on. Yeah, a question. I mean, have we actually seen increasing polarisation in public opinion? Um, no. Um, or have we seen increasing polarisation in discourse, in political conversation? The latter. Yeah. For me, um, the division with the real prospect of sort of taking root in our society is the values one. Uh, there's been some really interesting work out of the United States about just how distrustful social liberals are or social authoritarians and how that's becoming a, a genuinely yes. deep divide in American yeah. society. And that's my fear for here, is that <laughs> that becomes... I, I, mean, I, I, I think I agree with that, and that is ultimately why... Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I've heard Remain. I don't think leaving the European Union is a good idea in the sense that I don't see any deal that puts us out of the European Union that is a better outcome than the range of possible outcomes if we'd stayed. Um, what do you mean the Labour tests are... Set up to be found. I don't even know what they are. Um, um, uh, yeah, so I'm going to remain, but I think we have to leave because I think that you know, whatever the constitutional realities of, of the referendum are, that if you, we can find a clever way of going back on this and stopping it, then that will take us much further and faster down the road towards that American situation of a horrible polarized culture war politics where. Yeah, yeah, everyone, every, well, not everyone, where a lot of people define themselves as uh, Remainer or Lever, and that becomes the, the defining cleavage of politics. And it's quite interesting, actually, for all, for all the failures of the political system and the political parties, we haven't yet, yet, and uh, we, yeah, we're, no, we're near, we're nowhere near done with this, and we can maybe talk about Brexit and how the fact that Brexit will last forever, uh, and this is the rest of our lives, but... We are, Let's not yeah. talk about that because that's really depressing. It keeps you, it keeps, it keeps, I know it's it true. It keeps you in work but anyway. <laughs> but honestly, breakdown series seven hundred and thirty-six. so many things wrong with political conversation. Yeah, politi- yeah, politicians who talk about after Brexit and this idea that we just get to the other side of March, it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all done. And you fairly to absolute failure to engage with the substance of this. I mean, this this goes on forever and ever. Anyway, but. Yeah, so far, the party system has not actually been reshaped around you know, around that cleavage. We haven't got a Remain party and a Leave party, which is actually whatever it's failing. I mean, obviously, well, we have, but they've died. Well, well, yes, okay. But what it is the Labour Party is not yet yeah, is not a, is not a, a Remain party, and the uh, and the Tory party is not is not a, is not a Leave party, and they're both struggling painfully with that. Um, but doesn't that um, speak to? the fact that the divide is not remain and leave. Still, your organisation is called the Social Market mm. Foundation because, and I don't want to hijack this episode like I've hijacked previous episodes with uh, John Curtis making the same argument, but economics is still actually what it boils down to, isn't it? That's why your organisation is called the Social Market Foundation. It's not called 
the social identity foundation or whatever we're talking about. No, it's the cool. market. It's, yeah, the, it's, yeah, it's no, economics, no, no, right? You, you, well, okay. What's the name of my organization again? The social market. What's the first word? Social. Second word? Market. Right, okay. Not so the social industry, media. No, it's both. I find it slightly depressing that there's a big row about, well, Brexit and populism, it's, you, 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 one group of people say, it's all economics. Simple. Yeah. It, it, look, at, you, look at the numbers. Look at wages. Look at, how you, look at inequality. And you said inequality is rising, but it's not necessarily rising. Yeah, it depends, no, it depends, it, it depends the, on how you, the perception is, the narrative of rising inequality. Are you talking about, you know, how, how, what, what, what are you using? Are you using mm-hmm. Gini coefficient? Are you using well, yeah, wealth inequality? Yes, income, income inequality. Mm, anyway, never mind. Um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so yeah, so on one hand, you've got a bunch of people who say it's all it's all economic stupid. Um, yeah, if you want to solve populism, yeah. solve Brexit, go back to your, 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 come up with a more come up with a, fa- a fairer income and wealth income and wealth distribution, and it'll all be fine. Yeah. Bing, we'll go back. We'll go back to the, 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 the go back to the good old days. Yeah. And then on the other hand, you've got you've got the you know, the, the Kaufmans and the you know, you know, of this world who basically say it's all social. Yeah, it's purely cultural. But they're wrong. Right. Well, they're, they're both, basically, as a general rule in life, somebody who says it's very simple. They're sim- not mutually exclusive. Yeah, yeah. As a general rule in life, if somebody who comes along and says it's very simple, the answer is this, and tells you something in 30 words or few is probably wrong. Is complicated that why I'm pro- the, complicated the least problem, expert in this room? Complicated problems tend to, uh, tend to have, compl- have complicated answers. And the answer it's a bit of both. Uh, yeah, they are both necessary but not sufficient. A different economic. Uh, economic settlement uh, is surely necessary to address the grievances and the sentiments expressed in the uh, in the referendum vote. But frankly, you you could wave a magic wand and make everyone ten percent richer overnight, but you probably wouldn't address the fact that some people in bits of the country feel like other bits of the country are run by a bunch of you know, out of touch metropolitan feet tossers who deserve who deserve a good kicking via via the political process. I don't know any of them. Don't no. know any of them. Are um, still sitting around this room, no, sitting around this table. Not, um, definitely not any. Nothing like that. Well, I'm um, the only one here with a keep cup, so I think that makes me the most liberal effect tosser, right? Yeah, by a country mile. <laughs> yes, and a beard. You've got the beard. Yes, yeah, yeah, I had yeah. the beard before they were trendy, yeah. though. Let's be honest. Yeah, it's so all right. That's what, that's what they always say. Uh, yeah, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah. You wait. You've got a small child. You'll do the same as me at that age. When they get to about two, three, you go, wait a minute. Yeah, I could have ten minutes extra in bed if I'd grow a beard instead of shaving every morning. Talking and editing. Talking and editing. Is Brexit good for think tanks? Well, it's not. It's not great for mine because it. Um, uh, the word you probably hear a lot is bandwidth. Brexit. Well, the Brexit vote poses a very big question and yet distracts a lot of the people who should be engaged with answering that question from actually engaging with that question. What I mean is that um, I have a theory that of the 17.4 million people who voted to leave the European Union, probably not all of them were voting to leave the European Union because they believed that the operation of the acquis communautaire infringed on the sovereign rights they were granted under Magna Carta. Um, I think there might have been some other stuff going on there. I think when 17.4 million people essentially decide to reject the advice of not people like us, uh, yeah, of, of government politics, uh, business expertise, and say, up yours to all that, we will mm-hmm. chuck out the entire economic and political settlement of our country, they are probably making a comment on things that go beyond the operation of the treaties of the European Union. Um, and yet, this is the thing. Well, the thing I find most, you know, I most most depressing about modern politics. One of the things I find most depressing about modern politics, there is precious little engagement with that subject. There are very few people in politics who are talking or thinking about a what that was actually about, but then also what sort of country we might want to think about being. Mm. 
after March next year or in future that might go some way to addressing some of these questions about income distribution or regional distribution yeah. or in the regional point of view. The fact that you know, who, who, who in politics, in active politics, has a, a decent theory or explanation or answer to the fact that one of the best, best predictors of your referendum vote is your level of edu- education. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, you know, the, the basic graduates versus non-graduates. And mm-hmm. you know, you know, that, you know, what do we do about that? You know, Absolutely. You know, what is the political answer for that? What's the policy answer for that? That gaping um, hole where uh, what we should do with post-Brexit Britain yeah. should be so, being discussed. Is so so, that, so that's, that conversation is not happening because everyone's still... Yeah, you know, slight horror. Yeah, you know, running around having having rounds about Norway about Norway Plus. The conversation is still pretty shallow. Is that um, is that fair to say? I mean, just given uh, I, I could be wrong, but just given what you've said about the political discourse and uh, everybody being idiots on Twitter, essentially. Yeah, uh, paraphrasing slightly. No, no, yeah, I'm but, absolutely. Everyone, um, everyone on Twitter is an idiot. Right? Isn't the people mm. actually talking about nationalising the railways? Isn't that what they're saying? They're saying after Brexit we can nationalise the railways and create a lovely lefty utopia. Or they're saying we can go and uh, invade Sierra Leone and rebuild the empire if they come from at the other end of the spectrum. Isn't that what people are? People aren't, aren't the people actually thinking about post Brexit or a bit? How many people do you think are thinking about nationalising the railways? Uh, anybody who's ever been on a train. Which is how many people? Loads. Isn't it? Who goes to work? How many people go to work? Go to work on the train in the morning. Well, not as many. You're in, South, you're, in the, you're, you're, yeah, exactly. you're in the southeast of England, where, yeah, where, where everybody thinks, thinks commuting by rail is a thing. Yeah, I'm it's not, not. I've people had the misfortune you, to travel up and down between Scotland and London yeah, on the trains yeah, recently, yeah, and they're yeah, all yeah. awful as well. But it's all about you, you know, In day-to-day life, most people in the country, <laughs> kind of <is>. most people <laughs> in the country get to work, get to work by getting in a car and driving their car, or occasionally getting a bus. They want nationalised cars and robot cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the point is, yeah, so rail nationalisation, I, you Amendments to, to, to rail franchising as a, as, a resp- as a response to, to the Brexit vote, I'm not sure it quite cuts it. Um, I mean, I, I think you know, there's a connection there. I think they're in that sort of. I, I think you're right. I think I, I think there is a you know, and I think you could, and I don't know the answer. I think you could look at whether or not there is a a Venn diagram of Corbynism as a sort of rejection of all of that stuff over there, mm. and leaving leave voting as a rejection of all that stuff over there. Mm. But obviously, you, know, I'm not a you know, I'm certainly not an expert in the modern Labour Party. Um, but and, I think one obvious um, large intersection would be the politics and economics of austerity. Yes, I mean for me that red bus was an anti-austerity bus. I mean that was the that was the yeah. basic message of that bus. It was red. It had NHS on the side. It was an anti-austerity. And so in that respect, at yeah. least, there's a and, and there is. I mean, and yes, uh, some point academic friends are working away feverishly on, you know, on on different explanations for the connection between austerity and yeah. uh, austerity and leave vote uh, and vote leaving. And there is, there is a bit of a correlation there, but actually some people who were quite well off you know, are quite comfortable voted, you know, you know, you know, yeah. you know, voted leave, particularly you lay overlay age. Yeah. So the yeah. older you are, the yeah. more likely you were to vote, you know, to vote Brexit, but also actually the older you are, the chance your income is more secure. I mean, you know, the great yes. unwritten story of, you know, mm-hmm. Semi-explored stories like in the last ten, fifteen years. Pensioner poverty is not over, but the idea that was current when you know, twenty years ago that all old people were basically you know, little old lady, little old lady mm-hmm. huddling next to a one bar fire in in, in, in poverty. That's gone. Actually, pensioners, pensioners, statistically speaking, without feel it, are doing okay relative to you know, relative to young you know, to to the young working poor. And yet, it is the it is the older person with the higher income or the protected income. Uh, he was more likely to vote leave. It's an edit. Someone said something boring or illegal. Maybe told some slanderous story about Boris Johnson. You'll never know. Let, you let, let, have let, been an outrider in the media 
Yes, you I have, have been making the case because for withdrawal I, agreements. I have. Um, um, weirdly, this is a very strange why? experience. Why is, why is it a weird experience? Do you love the withdrawal agreement? No, of course I don't love it. It's, it's, you know, uh, uh, um, the withdrawal agreement is not great. Um, it has lots of problems. Well, why are um, you making the case for it then? Because it's better than all the alternatives. Uh, is that the most depressing thing you've ever heard in your life, Anna? No, I think James has got a, a, an illustrious career in marketing ahead of him. Yeah. It's called that's politics. I mean, yeah, that is you. Yeah, that is, and no. that's life. Oh, life that's, is a that's tr- really life. depressing. You you know, I do politics is about selling rubbish because it's better than worse well, rubbish. Okay, but he's okay. right, isn't he? I come mean, the up, fact come is, up with a better you have plan. A polarized um. debate where you have to try and balance a lot of different things, whether it's access to markets versus autonomy and the need to end free movement. And actually, this document does that. You're saying Brexit has broken politics. No, no, that's absolutely not what I'm saying. Politics should be about hope and all that sort of stuff, not... I mean, I appreciate oh, it. You've watched the West Wing, haven't you? No, no not for oh, a long time. Honestly, the West Wing. No, I appreciate the, the West Wing. Did do anything in the West Wing? The West Wing. Ru- I, I love the West Wing. I watched but, the first series. But yeah, the, the West Wing ruined British politics, and you know, um, <laughs> because this idea, yeah, idea that it's all about soaring, then then bloody Obama, uh, yeah, soaring oratory. Um, and yeah, if you have you ever watched the, the West Wing episode, let, let, Bart, let Bartlett be Bartlett. Yes. Oh god, yeah, that, yeah. you can't soaring oratory. But the, the idea, the idea. I mean, Aaron Sorkin is a screenwriter. He is not a political strategist. Right, see, the Brexit soaring oratory is a good thing. Sure. The Brexit. Have you, sat through, have you sat through a Barack Obama press conference? I've read his books. Ah, lovely. You, when you're into the second hour of Barack Obama talking about Barack Obama, then I tell you, you, you say right. you think, you know what, the soaring oratory stuff's a bit overrated anyway. Um, we have gone off. There was a West Wing um, episode about a trade deal with India, which has parallels ooh, with the Brexit thing. Mm. Because what happens is they sign a trade deal right. with India, the communications worker get, gets royally shafted, the unions are in, and Josh's best line to them is, we'll do better for you in future. And it was the trade trade-off that has haunted our politics and the politics yeah. of America, and the West Wing couldn't resolve it apart from saying, "Think hopeful." Yeah. To all these people who yeah. just lost their jobs. But honestly, I, I, was having, I, was having, I, I can't give the. I was having me Jimmy. Just, I was having a this conversation about yeah, about the withdrawal agreement and yeah, all this stuff with a friend yesterday who is occupies a moderately senior position somewhere at the somewhere near the top of the Conservative Party, and I was suggesting that you know, talking about the way in which the government is or is not selling it and I made a joke saying why don't you just come out and say that uh, yeah it's a bad deal but you voted for bad deals um, because this is the reality we, we had a institutionalised free trade agreement with our nearest and most significant partners and we decided to get rid of it well, the problem and that is decision is made because the Prime Minister spent two years telling us it would be a fantastic deal yeah, that's the problem. Well, you know, to be fair to the Prime Minister, she spent about a year telling us everything was going to be marvellous, and then she cocked up a general election, and pretty much, I mean, this is the thing which I find remarkable, that no one really knew. It, it has been obvious since election night last year that uh, no, deal is better than a, no deal is better than a bad deal died that night mm-hmm. in terms of policy and rhetoric. I mean, she barely said it. Mm-hmm. And it became obvious on the line, if you could count that, we were going to end up, the only viable option for, for, for a negotiated Brexit was going to be some degree, something that looks pretty much like where we are. I mean, I, from, to my taste, it would have made more sense for her to come out after the, uh, after the, that election result and say, okay, I put my form of hard Brexit on the ballot paper, I know we all got obsessed about the, the dimension tax, but basically this was a Brexit election. I say, you look at the leaflets, you actually go out and talk to you, look at the grassroots Tories. The stuff that CTSU pumped out in terms of the campaigning, they, that was a Brexit election. It was, I need my mandate for my particular sort of Brexit. Please give it to me, British people. British people, mm. no thank you. We're not going to give you that mandate. So you can't do that. And she actually got that. 
she realized quite quickly that you know having asked the question and been and been rejected she had to do something different and the eu got it i mean you know, the EU, they can count um the, you know, they recognized from the that, that that means things change we're now heading for some sort of compromise now, though i yeah. think you're being a bit charitable in the sense that to, that to, might be to, the case to, to, to the prime minister because she was I very very I, slow off the mark to to spell out the trade-offs involved. Ah, and in her Florence ah. speech, she said things won't be the same as before. But if that was her wholehearted move to saying, actually, you know what, the deal isn't going to be what you were expecting, it was pretty limp. No, I, I, no, I think I, I, I draw a distinction between, I think she got it and realised it, I don't think she necessarily said it. And that was, what I, well, that was what I was going to come to ah, say. Okay. I think that, I think she, she understood what that meant but she did not communicate that. She did not embrace the fact of it, the political mm -hmm. reality of it in terms of communication and strategy. Because I think the sensible thing to have done, you know, and a different leader you know, might well have done this after the election, say, okay, you've said something, I'm listening, I get it now, so I'm now going to call, you know, I'm literally, I'm opening my door to members of the Labour Party. If you know, you come in, we're going to set up a joint committee with the Labour Party, the SNP. I get it. There's no majority in the House. This is the point, point of national unity. You, know, you, you stop short of full, full government national of national unity, but you say we now need a new approach to Brexit, which takes in all of the views you know, the views being expressed, and we see where that takes. It probably takes you to something you know, something that looks a bit like Norway. One of the most remarkable things now for me is the way that the idea of Norway is being trashed by Remainers. Who want to narrow down the options to no deal or a second referendum? Yeah. I, so you, you see all these remainers out there saying that is slavery, that is vassal status. And I find myself thinking, but when we come to negotiate this trade deal, you're going to have to do a screeching U-turn on this if we end up leaving. And it's, I it's find quite it dangerous. really, as well as being the director of the Social Market Foundation, a very excellent think tank. Uh, I also write for the Spectator yes. and various other uh, but mainly the Spectator. I'm currently in the middle of a or, or, or of a piece for the most piece for the Spectator about Brexit, uh, talking about my, my two favourite sorts of idiots in Brexit, uh, who are the yeah, yeah, the, the uh, and they're sort of linked. There, there are the idiots who think no, no deal is no problem, and there are the idiots who you, who, who think no deal won't happen. Um, and they're both wrong. Uh, right. No deal's bad idea. No deal really can happen. We are we are into the, entering the sort of the accidental nuclear nuclear launch phase. Yeah. Okay. Um, where, given there is a number of those both sorts of idiots in Parliament. Yes. Let's have the prediction from both of you. The no. withdrawal agreement. Is it going through? Is it not going through? And no. You told me last week it was. I know, changed my mind. Oh, God, like, I've been giving it all that to all my, you know, hang, trying hang, to hang, steal your expertise, go, oh, it's going to pass. She'll lose yes. the first vote. Yeah, well, right. uh, yeah, no, that's in terms of the question. Is it, uh, that, that's not the same thing as it going through. Oh, is no. it, is it, yeah, will, it, will it eventually be, yeah, yeah, be, be, be take force? I find it really hard, this now, because the majority... Come on. She's going to lose by a lot. Yeah first time round and you know you hear the stories now coming out of number 10 that we're going to spin this and if it's under 100 that's a success which is a weird world to be in uh, I still find it very very hard to see how it gets through second time we just did a press briefing this morning where Jonathan Portes was saying actually there isn't going to be some massive market collapse if this gets voted down the top strategy won't work here in which case I just do not know where we go for right. the second vote I Come think on, if, if it, it loses by significantly more than 100 we're in Tory leadership yeah. Territory. All right. Well, does it get through or not? Somehow. Probably not. Okay, James, call it. Um, I, 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 uh, I swing back and forward on this a little, as you expect from my, 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 my tedious, um, vacillating centrist position. Um, and I'm currently heading for a sort of depraved, sort of uh, pessimistic you know, swing in that. My assumption has always been that it will. Although that had, that recently has become more of a, an article of faith than analysis, and the reason yeah. the reason I, the reason I, the reason I, 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 the reason I, I, I have inclined to think that it will, 
is because while it is extreme, it looks extremely improbable that it will pass. I think it is still more probable, less improbable than all the alternatives because something has to happen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Here's a fact: something has to happen. <coughs> so we currently have on the table all the we have, options. We have withdrawal. Withdrawal, yeah, withdrawal agreement. Pretty unlikely to pass. Okay, no deal exit. Pretty, un pretty unlikely to pass. You hope because there certainly is a majority. Yeah, yeah, everyone says that there is a majority in the Commons. Except it doesn't need to pass. Uh, yeah, I know. This is the problem. This is where we get the. This is where we get, the, get, 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 get to my point about the, the accidental nuclear launch. We could do it by both states. So, but anyway, so I still think I hope it is. Uh, it is even more improbable that Parliament you know, fails to prevent a no deal exit. Uh, and also the, you know, the, the, the third alternative. You know, uh, uh, the third alternative is no Brexit. No, that's not going to happen. Um, you know, the, you know, the Commons will not will not pass the necessary measures to put in place a second referendum. Even can anybody tell what, what the question is? Second referendum. What's the question? No. So on that on the on the grounds that yeah you know, the withdrawal agreement passing is incredibly unlikely, but less unlikely than all the alternatives. I've so far been thinking, you know what, one way or another, this is going through. Yeah. Um, I'm current. My faith is getting very thin, shall we say? Um, I do wonder whether or not there's a. You know, and I, this may be superstition. This may be sort of. This may be optimism bias. Whether or not at the last minute, uh, the uh, cometh the hour, cometh the man. Uh, Nick Bowles will in fact be the hero of a nation mm -hmm. who swings, who swings into action and saves, uh, saves us from, you know, from doom. Um, yeah. That's his plan, isn't it? He's, yeah. he's got a new, um, He's the, he's the so, yeah, I, I mean. Yeah. But well, but he's Norway man. But yeah, but bear in mind, Nick. I mean, yeah, Nick, yeah. He's also he's also he's also Michael Gove's man. He's also a friend of Michael Gove. Yeah. And Michael Gove is <coughs> genuinely, and this is the sign of the times. Michael Gove is the man of destiny. I mean, yeah, yeah. Michael Gove <laughs> has decided the fate of this nation twice already. Um, Michael Gove is the man of destiny. Uh, no, it's true. I mean, whatever, right or wrong, it might yeah, be true. It's just a where good he swings, sounds like a superhero. Where he swings, he, yeah, where you, yeah, yeah, by you, by day, Michael um, Gove. Colon, man of destiny. Yes, it's true. I mean, like you know, man of steel. Because and Superman you know, we, 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 you, you, you should do a podcast about Michael Gove, about the semiotics of Michael Gove. But when Gove, he starts tweeting about this, the meaning, the meaning, the meaning, the meaning of Gove, because Gove understands, we understands that, yeah, understands language and argument and narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. what makes him really, yeah. really, really impressive and important. Whatever you think of him, um, he matters. Uh, because you, yeah, uh, so what he does, and if he, if he, you know, if he says, I speak, you know, no one can question my credentials as a leaver. I, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I stand, you know, I, I bow to no one in my, in my, 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 my the European Union. And I can tell you that this thing, this cobbled together, sticky, t yeah, sticky tape and, yeah, and, and glue contraption we've knocked together in the desperate, in the desperate hours of late, of late December, you know, you're probably on the fringe of the Fisheries Council. I still wonder whether or not there is a, there is an 11th hour compromise in, 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 you know, that's, yeah, or, but equally that, again, you realise they, they can't, they can't do this in half an hour on the back of an envelope. I know, I know, but, yeah, well, but why not? Okay. Because off the shelf doesn't exist. There has to be an awful lot of negotiation about how this will work, how it would be. I mean, it this is, is this is why politics is all broken. The man that invented the Crystal Palace literally drew it on the back of an envelope. In the Victorian times, they just went, right, let's just do stuff, and they did it. And this, we're all everything's broken, and it's all oh, everything's rubbish, and it can't be done. It's complicated. Michael Gove could do it in half an hour. It is complicated. Yeah, Michael Gove, man of destiny. It is complicated, but I'm, I'm sort of. I do sort of incline to the slightly superstitious sort of belief that stuff, you know, the, you know, the European Union, everything is impossible until it's not. While we're talking about the withdrawal agreement, that leads us on to our new feature, which is called Brexit Family Fortunes. It's Brexit Family Fortunes. And here is your host.
James Miller. In which we are going to use the work of Anand's Brexit policy panel, his hundred experts who predict stuff about Brexit. Right? And you are going to guess what they predicted. Right? So, the Brexit policy panel, the <coughs> likelihood of no deal. What percentage said there will be no deal? Uh, James first. When did they make the prediction? Uh, this was in October, is the most recent panel. I think they probably put it at between 20 and 23%. And, and 50 you ought to know. It's your Brexit policy panel. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming I'm you won't 50. know. Yeah, no, that's why I'm letting okay. you play this game. A short attention span. 42. 42 percent really? said no deal. So 50, I get a point 58 for that. said a deal. Yeah, okay. um, well, no, because you're wrong. It's your policy panel. You should be closer than that. That's close, but not close enough. Yeah. The Irish border. Yeah. What percentage said there's going to be no border? <coughs> Anand, you can go first on this one. 12. 20 percent. Good one, 22. Ooh. Yes, definitely yeah. get a point for that. That's not fair. And let's finish with the other feature, which is still coming back for Series 2, which is... What's it called, Anand? Oh, God, In don't the do unlikely that event, yes. this podcast was not sufficiently enlightening, or something like that. <laughs> In the unlikely event, this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently. Um, recommendations. Give you t-shirts. We're still, yes, merch. We should do merch. We should totally do merch. You don't um, say merch, do you? What is merch? Exactly. I Thank see. You. People still want right. to understand Brexit. Uh, James, what would you recommend? If people want to understand Brexit, what should they read, watch, <coughs> listen to? Uh, this will sound terrible um, under the circumstances, but honestly, I actually think you guys do really quite good stuff. UK and Changing Europe? Yeah. Stuff? Really yeah. Okay. I mean, basically, I, I, you know, I think for that balance of, you know, of, of expertise, uh, yeah. Familiarity, oh. familiarity with oh. political reality and the ability did to... You, did you fix this? Him no, so you're not allowed, having to, him you're allowed to recommend your own stuff, but no, I mean, there's no well, rule against well, recommending his stuff. I write for a relatively informed market as a journalist, hopefully. Hope and pray. But honestly, for actual punters, then I do think you, I do think you guys are quite good. Thank you. And quite what's good. your recommendation? Well, First one of Series 2. Come on, what have you well, got? Well, at the moment, a good one. most of the newspapers are doing their MP tracker. Yes. Who's going to vote what? Yes. And it's worth looking at all of them just for the laugh of seeing people changing camps from one publication to the next. So that was James Kirkup and that was Brexit Family Fortunes. And that was a new jingle and everything. What do you think of it? What do you think of the new feature? What do you think of the new jingle? Do get in touch with your views. Also get in touch to have a shot at the Brexit Family Fortunes listener competition, which I have just invented in my head right now. Um, there's a link between Family Fortunes and Brexit, and the first person to contact me with the correct answer to what that link is will win something. Some merch. There we go, some merch. I'll find some uh, UK and a Changing Europe merch to offer. I don't know, like a mug or a sticker. Or I don't know what they make. Um, something like that. So do get in touch. Um, get in touch about anything else on that podcast that you wish to discuss. Is Michael Gove the man of destiny? And if he is, what sort of superhero costume would he wear? Please send me your drawings. Is politics broken? 
our sofa workshop going to deliver my new sofa? And, oh, hang on, that's a different note that I happen to have written down on this same notepad. Um, if you have answers to any of these questions or further questions of your own, share them with me via Twitter, where I am at Political Yeti, or on the email, it is UK in a Changing Europe podcasts at gmail.com. Or contact UK to Changing Europe. They are at UK and EU on Twitter, or the website is UK and EU.ac.uk, where you can contact them via that. The music this week has again been Requiem for a Fish by the Freak Fandango Orchestra. The music on the Brexit Family Fortunes jingle is by John Bartman. I've been James Miller. This has been the Brexit Breakdown podcast from the UK to Changing Europe, supported by King's College London and funded and supported by the Economic and Social Research Council. Come back next time for another podcast soon. Goodbye.